Because portions of today's episode may be too intense for younger listeners, we recommend that children under the age of 10 listen with their parents. Kids, if your parents aren't in the room, make sure you get them before you listen. This week's episode of Shitty Christians. I'm your host, Zachary Alley. And I'm Michael Tabor. And this week we have returning guest, essentially one of our hosts, Kelsey Lair. Kelsey, welcome to the pod. Hey, so good to be back. And Michael, what are we talking about? Do we about? really give Kelsey welcomes at this point? Like, she's been around a lot. Like, <laughs> our come on. First come on. Third host, Kelsey Lair. <laughs> I don't, I don't get a welcome when I show up for this shit. Yeah, when you show up to your job, no one cares. Uh, so, uh, clock in, Kelsey. We got shit to yeah, do. strap the fuck in. I'm so ready. <laughs> Go. What are we, uh, what uh, are we Zach, what are we week? talking about this week? Damn it. <laughs> I can't believe you would ask me that. <laughs> you <laughs> ask me that. <laughs> Kelsey, what are we talking about this Kelsey, week? Kelsey, what are we talking about this week? Yeah, I am so excited because I have been pushing for this episode for literal years. <laughs> Tonight. Not, not a joke. Not a joke. Not an exaggeration. 100% sincere. Tonight we are talking about, finally, a touchstone of our childhoods and many of yours. The one and only Adventures in Odyssey. That's right, baby. It's happening. We have, ta- we have talked on the pod about doing this episode uh, a bunch of times. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you know, it, that would be a very funny ahead, clip through. I'm not going to go through, but every time we talk about, we should do an episode about that. <laughs> oh, that would be extremely upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for, for our uninitiated listeners, for you blessed adventures in Odyssey <laughs> virgins, uh, you may be wondering what, what are they talking about? What is this? And, uh, let me tell you. This is the best way I can sum this up. We've talked about before how uh, evangelical culture often feels like a parallel universe, like a dark reflection, you know, through through a cracked looking glass of what is happening in culture at large at any given time. Uh, Adventures in Odyssey is like a pocket dimension in that alternate universe. It is a radio show ostensibly about a small town by the name of Odyssey, where a gentleman by the name of John Avery Whitaker runs an ice cream emporium and teaches kids moral lessons along with his, you know, employees, Connie and Eugene. And there are a whole bunch of kids in the town and they all have little hijinks and adventures and they all learn lessons. And that's basically Adventures in Odyssey. Uh, It is also a radio show about a man who invents a holodeck in his ice cream emporium, <laughs> uses, it, uses it to manipulate children towards his fringe religious beliefs, including sending one of his employees to literal hell to force a conversion. Uh, let's see. And then uh, 
happens to be the location of a heretofore undiscovered mineral that is a central component in a biological terror weapon being used to eradicate human life on Earth, and then after that becomes the headquarters of a multinational media conglomerate set to establish worldwide mind control by turning your brainwaves into radio waves. And both of those descriptions are equally accurate of this show. Uh, it's great. I love it. Now, who is the producer? What entity has created <laughs> this incredible world? Like all great art, it's created by a reactionary right-wing fuckbag by the name of James Dobson, True. who I guess is not the creator of Adventures in Odyssey, but who owns Focus on Family, who produces the show. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting mix of things. I I should say it's been running since 1989, uh, or I believe 88. There 88. are before depending on who you ask. I was yeah, born. let's get some before clarification Before I was here. born, this show was on the radio, and there's almost a Incredible. thousand episodes. Yeah, depending on who you ask, this is actually a, a moment of controversy because <laughs> if you go on the official adventures in odyssey site they'll tell you they're just nearing 950 but if you go to the adventures in odyssey wiki then they'll start telling you about all these little offshoot episodes and they count them in their running tally and now they're nearing a thousand meaning that we are coming up on 500 hours of adventure and odyssey content hell yeah and the rest of this podcast will be going through every single one hell yeah and we listen to every single one so, no listen you that, could start that podcast a month exists it does. I was oh, trying sure. to find sure. a free way to listen to an episode and found <laughs> a podcast. Just two dudes, like in their twenties, riffing on Adventures in Odyssey and like looking at the little like plot holes that inevitably in exist in a show that's this aged. I don't. I can't decide if that is something. I, I feel like I hate that. I feel like don't don't you come for my beautiful boy. <laughs> like I love I love this shit. I love this yeah. reactionary piece of like. 500 hours of radio garbage. I think it's beautifully well made. I think the acting's pretty good. I think the stories get bonkers. Like, d d don't come at me with plot holes. Don't you cinema sins my blessed thing. No, I, I will say, one of the worst things about the internet is the, like, Neil deGrasse Tysonification of, like, film criticism. Like... Yeah, film criticism as, well, actually... Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> like, that's not the point of stories. Uh, by the way, when I started researching this, I was under the impression I had heard somewhere or read somewhere or made up in my brain that this was the longest running like dramatic radio series mm -hmm. going back to 1989. It turns out there's another one also made by Christians that's been airing continuously since 1950. What the fuck? What is it? It's called Unshackled, and every story yeah. is sort of a loosely fictionalized conversion story where people show up at this abbey and tell the story of how they came to faith. That's awesome. But we should listen to that. It has been going on for an incredibly long time. Uh, so yeah, that's sort of the basic outline. It's a long-running radio show made by right-wing assholes that is surprisingly well-produced, but still managed to sneak in a fair amount of reactionary bullshit in between all the cutesy moral lessons, and also goes progressively more insane over a thousand episodes. Uh, but before we get into our analysis, Kelsey, <laughs> tell me what Adventures in Odyssey means to you. So, to me, it is the stuff of our annual summer road trips to Yosemite. Mm. And a fairly, in my very limited but repetitive experience with Adventures in Odyssey, a fairly uh, grounded media product. So... Before we started 
recording tonight, you know, Michael was kind of telling us some of the in just batshit, bonkers uh, plot trajectories, and I was shocked. And that is because <laughs> um, I grew up with, I want to say, three, maybe four sets of cassettes that were not even full seasons, um, but sort of little, like, pieces of different seasons, all from the very early years, so, like, the very early 90s. Kelsey was a literal yeah. pioneer. It's okay. Um, and I was listening. No, this is how I experienced this too. You could get it was it looked like a Disney VHS tape, yes. and it and it had six cassettes yes. in it. So you got twelve episodes per basically volume, and that was it. And there are hundreds of these things. Like it, it was a very you you only got such a small drip of content. And I don't know about you, Kelsey. I never knew this was on the radio. I never had access to like hearing this air on the airwaves. So those cassette tapes were my only connection to this entire world. Yeah, and I mean, I, I lived a pretty, uh, I lived in a pretty arid media landscape as a kid. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a very generous way of saying you didn't have TV. Yeah, go back go back to our first episode with Kelsey for a more a more intense description of just how limited and how Survivor was a really important touchstone in her family. <laughs> when I was in high school. But Adventures yeah. in Odyssey was obviously way, way earlier than that. But, I mean, like everything, we just had what we had, and we were content to watch it over and over again. So, like, my yeah. grandmother with cable would, fill, like, pirate TV shows for us and, like, record them on VHS tapes. And so... Hell yeah, Grandma. Get on that pirate base shit. Yes. Graham, <laughs> Graham has been a, a transgressor her whole life, and... Um, so, you know, we just watched the same episodes of, I mean, even like game shows, like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, like the same episodes over and over again. That is. Oh, that's dark. That's so depressing. <laughs> that's, I was totally on board with this until you said, no, we watched the same quiz questions answered over and over and, and over also, again. She also recorded the Olympics for us. So we would watch like years old um ice like ice skating routines oh my gosh incredible um, but see that that kind of, i'm back to that rules that's just that's cool <laughs> but we also like getting hyped for a pre-recorded like ice skating routine is is right yeah i mean i could and i could and they all had commercials too right so like i watched snowden on ice five thousand times and i can quote <laughs> to this day like the target commercials that were on during Snowden on Ice. Anyway, um, so all, like all media, and we also did have some like real, like purchased VHSs of like a few Disney movies. Um, and also Babe and- a hey, Babe is amazing. Babe is amazing. Yeah, yeah. you gotta- No, I do make no apologies. But um, so just like watching the same content over and over again was pretty normal for us. Um, and we could only watch videos on weekends anyway. So, um, but that was, <laughs> but that was kind of how Adventures in Odyssey was. Obviously, we weren't watching it, but it was like, oh yeah, the same like thirty six episodes. We'll kind of just cycle through them over and over again mm -hmm. while we're in the car, and that'll be fine. So to find out that there's all of these other characters that kind of came later, like I guess Eugene gets married. Um, oh, we'll get into the characters later, but there there's all of these this like whole stable of. Uh, characters that I never knew. I knew just the very basic core characters from the early 90s. Um, 
And that was fine, but also the episodes in those, I think we had four, but we had, we had three, the same, we had three for a really long time, and then our neighbors who were, like, pretty hip to the evangelical media scene, um, they were the ones who told- Those words don't go together. Well, yeah, but they told me, they were the ones who told me that Adventures in Odyssey was actually on the radio, and I would drive, I would drive around with them, so I would, like, go to their church things sometimes, and- um, so sometimes I was in the car with them and I would hear Adventures in Odyssey come on the radio and it'd be like, this is completely foreign to me because it has no bearing on, you know, the 36 episodes that I know about. <laughs> and I don't know who any of these people are. Kelsey's here with like the sacred Adventures in Odyssey text. She's like, no, she's like a Protestant. She's like, no, these. These are the original. So, no, Sola uh, Scriptura. Kelsey's over here Odyssey. like the Pentateuch is the only ordained books of God's that's, word. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah, I'm like Seventh Day Adventing it over here. Um, so, the yeah, um later on like maybe towards the end of when I was like getting to the age where it was normal or interesting to listen to Adventures in Odyssey <laughs> we got another one and it was maybe a couple of years later and I have some vague memories as I was kind of looking through the Adventures in Odyssey wiki mm-hmm. um I was like oh yeah I do remember some of these like slightly more unhinged plot arcs um but the ones that were in the original three volumes that we have like I remember most of them like pretty much backwards and forwards and could quote. Yeah. Um, and as actually as I was re-listening to one of these episodes that had really stuck with me, I there's a phrase in there that I remember just like incorporating into my regular life. And I was like, oh yeah, that's where this came from. But the pussy in the sarcophagus? Yes, that was the phrase. It's crazy that they aired that on the radio. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, I no, fittingly, it was, ew, I hate my voice on tape. So, sorry, <laughs> listeners. Um, prophecy. Prophecy. So, that is the, um, I do have really fond memories of Adventures in Odyssey because it was just like, we, every summer, would go visit my dad, who was a ranger in Yosemite, and my mom would stick us in the car, and it was like a four to five hour drive in her 1990 Ford Tempo, and with no air conditioning. And that was, I mean, See, that was what we listened to. Like, that was what got us through the drive. I mean, that's a long fucking drive for <laughs> a seven-year-old. And That's so interesting that it's connected to road trips because Adventures in Odyssey was also intimately connected with road trips in my childhood. Like, every Christmas, we would either be driving 12 hours south or 14 hours north to see grandparents in either New York or Florida. That is so and many hours. Was, oh, holy shit. It, it was a lot of oh hours. Oh, my gosh. Uh, with with four kids in tow, oh. uh, ranging in with an eight-year age range fan. And your siblings uh, are delightful adults, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were we were monsters. I'll own that. I was a monster. I wasn't any All better. All children are monsters. Uh, yeah, that's and this true. was this was a harrowing drive every year. Like it's holiday. There's traffic. You end going like through New York City. Like it's just <laughs> brutal, brutal Driving stuff. Driving through New York is tough. Yeah, and you know, my dad just like white knuckling it for fourteen hours straight. Uh, your, just your dad incredible. just like not expressing any emotion, but like somehow <laughs> breaking the steering wheel. <laughs> Yeah, he swears he's praying under his breath, but I've heard those words before, and those aren't <laughs> prayers. Um, and the one thing that got us through was that every year, once a year, we got a new volume of Adventures in Odyssey, <laughs> and those six cassette tapes, those would that would be it was it was entering into the you know the center of the temple. We had to do our ablutions, and then we received the new word 
of Adventures in Odyssey. And that was it. That's all you got the whole year. And so it was like layered on year by year, just these pieces. And I locked in pretty early to the fact that like, oh, there is longer form storytelling happening here. But here's the thing. <laughs> when these guys decide to do an arc, as I will now show you in a little bit, they don't do it. Oh, the next 30 episodes are this saga. That's spread out. There will be dozens of episodes in between the episodes that are actually connected to these longer narratives. And so it's a real shot in the dark when you're just buying chronological volumes, you know, what you're going to get, if you're even going to get that next piece of the puzzle. And it was like extremely tantalizing for young Michael that like, no, I know there are things happening in this world beyond the moral lessons. I know that shit is out there, but I have no way of finding it. You know, you look at the little descriptions of these sagas, they don't really tell you what's going on in them. So it was like, Being the child literally the my whole childhood, so I was hunting down this information. And I remember specifically one year getting in a like very heated argument with my sister because she wanted a volume that had the continuation of Connie and Eugene's romance. And I wanted the volume that had the continuation of like the crazy shit that was happening in town. And we were like scrapping over that. <laughs> I, I will say, I don't think that Connie and Eugene ever had a romantic arc. Mm, mm. Are we gonna debate the same okay. text on shitty Christians? <laughs> Okay. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. He, maybe I, maybe know, I got my names wrong. I do wrong. know that Eugene ended up married to someone named Katrina, who was never his coworker. Yes, Katrina came later. Um, but I feel but, like there was an arc, but maybe, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Clearly, like, that was not the, the story I was interested in. I didn't give a shit about Connie and Eugene. Maybe they just, I was here to find out what was going on. Sorry. No, maybe they just did over the clothes, like hand stuff, like frottage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe it was just youth group side hugging, but like, you know, intense. <laughs> I, I'm I'm looking it up right now, and as we have previously discussed off air, the Adventures in Odyssey Wiki is really slow. I, I also yeah, the say, adventures... Michael's man, Michael's childhood is like it's rough it was rough being a child without continual access to the internet for these things. You just like would have questions never answered. Yeah, it, this this story could only exist in a pre-internet time because now you would just hop on the wiki. You'd just take a look. Uh, I will say, though, there was a moment, and this is getting into, like, deep Michael lore, so bear with me. I'll keep it quick. But at one point when I was a kid, my dad left his job to start a Christian book review magazine. And, like, <laughs> this went on for a couple years. Like, he was in Lifeway. Like, it was, like, a thing it, that happened. And during that time, we would constantly be getting free books from, like, every Christian publisher. Every, every children's book that Christians were writing, we were receiving. And one of those books was called The Complete Guide to Adventures in Odyssey. And it contained, among other things, plot summaries for every single episode that it aired to date. Like, wow. I cannot tell you how much that felt like finding the Rosetta Stone for my entire childhood. Like, it was like if your only exposure to Star Wars was like 30 second TikToks and then you got to see the whole thing. You're like, finally, the whole picture comes together. And I read that thing like the Bible more <laughs> than I read my Adventures in Odyssey themed Bible that I also had. <laughs> um, so, Michael, I can confirm that we were both right. Oh, okay. Um, that there was never really a thing between Connie and Eugene, but there was a moment when Katrina walks in on Connie and Eugene having an innocent hug 
And then that's a whole thing. <laughs> and then it turns okay, out right. that Katrina is actually dating someone else. Fraudage. Oh, that. Which is why sucks. she did not care that they were having an innocent hug. And that made Eugene upset. Um, anyway, they do end up getting married, I think. Although that happens way, way after the four episode or yeah, the four yeah. and again one of jumps. the interesting things about these shows is like a lot of characters move on there are over 3,000 characters listed on the adventures in odyssey wiki no, it's like I'm a fucking joking. russian novel up in there like it's it fucking is Brothers insane Pay. but some of them stick around for decades like literal decades where you can tune in to hear what connie and eugene and whitaker are up to even though whitaker bails earlier than some of them because the voice actor died and then they had to get another guy to bring him we back. should we should do a quick rundown on the the major characters here yeah it's a good time okay for that's all you because I, I did not do any prep for that oh well i mean i will just give the very very basic so uh, yeah. as we have discussed odyssey is a small town that is ostensibly in the midwest mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. Although, hold on, this is also extremely important to my experience of Adventures in Odyssey. Um, <laughs> Y'all have probably mentioned that Focus on the Family is headquartered in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Now, I happen to have relatives in Colorado Springs, Colorado. and James Dobson. James, that is not true. That is not accurate. Um, so excited to see where this is going. Well, the first time that I ever went on an airplane was when we went over Thanksgiving to visit my relatives in Colorado. And we went to the Focus on the Family headquarters. <laughs> oh, shit. Where there is. Ground zero. Ground zero. And my parents, my parents were great parents and not like particularly James Dobson-y like tons of corporal punishment kinds of folks. Um, but it was obviously just a huge influence in our entire, you know, spiritual community. So they probably thought it was interesting for those reasons. But I only cared because there is actually a replica Wits End. Oh, shit. Now, I don't think we have mentioned Wits End yet. Um, yeah, in passing, but continue. This is, this is very important. Right. Um, so Wits End is, yes, it is the ice cream shop that Michael mentioned. Um, it's run by John Avery Whitaker, who goes by Wit. And they never have anyone pay for anything, which I, I remember thinking was weird as a kid. Um, people Based. Just, people just come in. John Every Whitaker confirmed communist. Here That's we go. That's right. Um, <laughs> and yes, the, the holodeck that Michael mentioned is called the Imagination Station. It, it's mm -hmm. basically a time machine. So the kids who live in Odyssey can like go into the Imagination Station and it makes like real sort of space agey sounds. And then they can be in the Bible and they can see the Exodus, for example, or in one notable episode, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Incredible stuff. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but they can also do other, they can go to other parts of history. They can revisit their own past uh, earlier lives. They can help with the Underground Railroad at one point. There's a, that's an Oh, yeah, and the Underground episode. Railroad will come back and be relevant again in this series. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, John Every Whitaker, he starts out in the very first episode as an inventor that turns a copier into a pizza oven. And then, like, his next invention is an automatic ice cream sundae maker that he calls the Super Scooper. And then the next invention is the literal holodeck that allows people to not just experience the past, but interact with it, inclu including, as Kelsey mentioned, talking to Jesus while he's hanging on the cross and experiencing your own death. Yeah. And then the next thing is a blender that changes blades when you put different <laughs> stuff in it. So... 
So incredible stuff. So that's the imagination station. Um, and it doesn't, I remember as a kid, like there experiencing kind of, there were three like categories of episodes. So one was just kind of like normal stuff that happened in the town of Odyssey. Um, you know, like, Oh, Robin has to come clean after cheating on a test or, um, you know, someone has their, you know, their parents are divorcing and it's real hard. Um, so that was kind of category A, and that was actually my favorite category. I just liked Boo. the day and the lifestyle. Um, then there were the like more unhinged ones um, that we will get into, um, but you know, sort of these this like criminal syndicate, you know, rearing its ugly head from time to time, things like that. Um, and then the third category, which was my least favorite by far, was the Imagination Station episodes where they go into Bible stories. And I spe- yeah, those always. Sucked. I remember Bo- one. Yeah, where, so boring. Where they're like helping Onesimus, the enslaved Roman, or he is he, you know, so he is in the Book of Philemon in the Bible, the Book of Onesimus. Maybe not that deep. It's right. <laughs> Onesimus is like has returned to his his owner as a slave, uh-huh. and there is an episode in Adventures in Odyssey where like one of the kids travels back in time, interacts with Onesimus, and like convinces him to return to his slave master. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so That's these, hilarious. Yeah. That rules. Um, so those were the third category of the Imagination Station episodes where they're like in Bible stories. Um, yeah. Now, back to the replica wit's end in Adventures in Odyssey, or in uh, Focus on the Family. So it is a gorgeous, genuinely beautifully done ice cream parlor um Mm. you know with the black and white checkered floors and just like so idyllic it's like the platonic ideal of an ice cream shop and then through the back there is a replica imagination station and you can get in it and like push the buttons and hear all of the sounds so i was like seven uh when we went to focus on the family and it's like Totally bizarre because it's just like it looks like the Googleplex. Like you just, it's just like this big like corporate compound. Yeah. And then you walk through the doors, and then there's this like, and and Wits End famously has this like beautiful kind of all glass atrium on the back of it. So it's like a Victorian mm-hmm. house, mm-hmm. and then this atrium, this all glass atrium, and so the, and that is all there. Or I mean, in my memory, it was all there from when I was seven, which was a hot minute ago. But um, seven year old Kelsey being like, this is a very impressive atrium. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was very impressed by getting to go inside the Imagination Station, push the buttons, and see all of the lights. That's so sick. I'm so jealous. <laughs> like, I am, I am, 35-year-old Michael is burning with jealousy. <laughs> Michael, like, Michael and I are going to have to do a road trip from L.A. to Colorado Springs now. Oh, fuck yeah. That's what the Patreon's for. We finally figured it out. <laughs> um, oh, man. Um, go ahead. Okay. Before we get into the episodes we actually listen to, I need to walk us through just one of the more insane arcs of this story. And I'm going to go as fast as I can, and it's still going to take a minute. Okay, wait, 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 one second, down. because my whole job was okay. to, like, really briefly go through the characters, and then I did not do any of that. Oh, yeah, I forgot. So, okay. Characters don't matter. <laughs> this is really unfocused <laughs> podcasting. So, we've got John Whitaker, Wit, who is the pro- inventor slash proprietor of... Uh, Wits End, who also turns out to be, like, a press maven. Um, he owns, he's, like, he publishes every year, they publish uh, an encyclopedia. 
And he is part of, he's like on the board for this uh, Universal Press Foundation. He also runs a kids radio project uh, to the surrounding communities. So he just, he dabbles in all of it, but like his main thing is dispensing ice cream and sage wisdom to the local kiddos. So that's what. Yeah, in equal measure. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and then his employees at Wits End, the OGs, are Eugene Meltzner, who is like this genius scientist type, who early in the series is just a scientist and does not come to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and personal Savior until many years in. Which I respect mm-hmm. them the waiting. Um, so that is... Well, that's that's the one where he gets to literally, literally experience hell in the Imagination Station, and it scares him so much he gets saved. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. Incredible. Story. So that is Eugene. Um, but his whole shtick is like he just speaks an incredibly archaic language mm-hmm. and just always... Yeah, he's just, he's just nerd. He's just, he's a just nerd. garden variety nerd. Yeah. Uh, Eugene, no, no disrespect, no shame, but Eugene clearly has autism. Like his whole shtick is like missing social cues. Like <laughs> Eugene is the spectrum. Um, and then there's Connie, and Connie, uh, I always like deeply resonated with. She's, uh, she's, it's. I always thought of her as like pretty young, uh, sort of a young adult type who has an incredibly biting sense of humor. Um, yeah. Loves- yeah, that's a that's a little upsetting, Kelsey, because I deeply resonated with Connie, but in a different way. <laughs> We're gonna move so quickly past that. <laughs> um, but yeah, she uh, she is just there. She and, and Wit have kind of a spiritual connection. Yeah, um, they do because she is you know she's already saved, mm-hmm. and so they can they can talk about all the God stuff. Um, whereas yeah, and she's also she's sassy and she's she like very inquisitive, so she's constantly getting into little shenanigans because she just can't like not investigate and like yeah. It rules. Yes, and she she always puts Eugene in his place, and she's actually always the smart one. So she she's the one who sort of actually like considers all the bigger questions in the world. Um, so that is Connie, mm-hmm. and those so those are like the three OG mm-hmm. uh, wits mm-hmm. and staffers that are yeah. probably the staples. But then, yeah, there's just literally an entire town full of people who are all real characters, many of them recurring. So there's like a ton of kids and all of those kids have their own whole storylines and arcs, parents, and that's before you even get into the plot stuff. Like it is a very fully fleshed out town. Yeah, it's got some Simpsons energy. Yeah, very, very, very similar, both in length and uh, how insane it gets in later seasons. Um, okay, are we ready for the Blackguard saga? Let's yes! Spill. Okay. All right. Here we go. I'm going to I'm going to try to run through this. Do not try to keep every character in your head. Just let it wash over you. <laughs> okay. So, the saga begins with the reveal that John Avery Whitaker, local ordained minister, ice cream emporium owner, and indoctrinator of children, has a secret <laughs> supercomputer named Mabel hidden in a room behind his office bookcase. The key for that room is hidden in his copy of The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis, because of course it is. Yes. Connie and Eugene. Yeah, of course. And and The Last Battle is the apocalyptic one, which hints at things to come. See? Connections. We're putting it together. Connie and Jean notice that Wit has been spending a lot of time spending all night at Wit's end, and they're concerned, so they go to investigate and discover his secret room with Mabel the supercomputer, and he tells them, okay, you know about this, be aware, just do not open the program called Applesauce. 
applesauce. So he makes them swear. Of course, it's apples. He makes them swear never to open. But Connie, of course, later gives into temptation because, you know, women be even. Am I right? Sure. It had to be um, Connie. It had to be Connie. So she loads the program, but when she fails to provide a password, the supercomputer activates its security failsafes and shuts everything down in Wit's end. Wit returns. He's hugely disappointed at this betrayal of trust, and he fires both of them. And that's the end of episode one of 30 Whoa. of this arc. Um, also, he hints that the power of applesauce goes far beyond anything to do with Wit's end. Yikes. Okay, smash cut to a few episodes later. We're in a town council meeting. The town of Odyssey is debating whether or not to grant a business license to Dr. Richard Blackard, a child psychiatrist who is interested in opening his own competing amusement emporium for children in Odyssey. Interestingly, Dr. Richard Blackard, he is sort of the manifestation of all things evil in Odyssey, so it's not a mistake that they made him a child psychiatrist. This goes back to James Dobson's obsession with how psychology and psychiatry are evil unless you do it the Jesus way. <laughs> so this ties into like our biblical counseling episodes, that their, their manifestation of ultimate evil is a child psychiatrist. Okay. Interestingly, though, Dr. Richard Blackard does not seem to have very much of a developed business plan and questions are getting asked. And it seems clear that he's, he's just kind of spitballing this. And it also quickly becomes clear that some local corruption is afoot as we see Blackard conspiring with a council member. Now, we remember Connie got fired, right? Connie is confused because Eugene's been rehired, but she hasn't. She's feeling this dark night of the soul. And in that moment, a dastardly ne'er-do-well named Richard Maxwell comes to her and convinces her to try to go work for Blackguard. During the interview, Blackguard asks questions that seem to imply he knows something about the Applesauce computer program. He offers Connie a job, but Connie leaves disturbed. Blackwell then pressures Richard Maxwell to make sure the council vote goes his way. So Maxwell responds by lighting one of the council members' barns on fire oh right before the vote. To we have not even gotten to crazy yet. Okay. So with the council member taken care of, the council approved Blackguard's business license and Blackguard's castle opens shortly thereafter. And now I am quoting from the wiki, the castle is the antithesis of wit's end, full of rowdy children and unwholesome games. <laughs> Which later- I love that. Clarified to be arcade games. Yeah, yeah, these are video games that, that the kids are playing and that's bad. They actually do a lot of episodes on why video games are bad, but we're moving forward. But the castle itself is just a cover for Blackguard's true plan, stealing the applesauce program from John Whitaker. Blackguard continues to blackmail Richard Maxwell to force him to hack into Wit's supercomputer, which produces a power surge in the Imagination Station, causing it to blow up right as local child Lucy was entering the station. Lucy goes into a coma and is taken to a hospital. Oh Wit is immediately recognizes that something new and dangerous is afoot in the town and closes Wit's end to dedicate his full efforts to investigating. <laughs> During that time, Wit reveals to Eugene that Applesauce is not just a program that he developed, but a highly classified government program containing, in his words, a treasure trove of state secrets. What the fuck? We're moving forward. Richard Maxwell Still reeling from the near death of the innocent child Lucy, tells Blackguard that he has now found the password to Wit's supercomputer, but it turns out this is a ruse. The password he gives Blackguard is a self-destruct code, which lights Blackguard's castle on fire when Blackguard tries to use it. Blackguard leaves Richard to die in the fire, but Wit swoops in and saves him just in time. Wit deletes the program and prays that will be the end of it. 48 episodes later. <laughs> and let me also interject that apparently applesauce starts this whole 
like arc starts in episode 84. Oh yeah, we'll or we'll even, get to how many episodes this comes but out. I my the point the quick point is I listened to like several years worth of episodes and had no idea that this arc existed because it kind of goes mm-hmm, throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as Michael mentioned, all of just like kind yeah, of the regular town happenings. Yeah, you got you got season one where everything's just literally a small town drama. Now we're in season six. They're running out of ideas and they're just getting wild. <laughs> okay. 48 episodes later, Wit uncovers that a local chemical company has been dumping toxic waste into the town stream and poisoning residents, which turns into a lesson not for the dangers of corporate malfeasance, but how everyone is too quick to blame big business for environmental damage when us individuals don't even recycle. Everyone thinks this is a really good point, and they all commit to personal responsibility. That is not a joke. (laughs) Now, I only bring that up because that chemical company will become important later. 32 episodes after that. Wit's laptop is stolen by a suspicious young man during a visit to Chicago, who we later learn is working for Dr. Blackard. Wait, However, wait, 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 I remember this episode. Mm-hmm. Due to a mix-up, Wit's computer is actually clean, and the computer that gets returned to Wit belongs to the Department of Defense. Wit tries to l- contact the Department of Defense to let them know, but by the time he does, Connie has been kidnapped by an undercover bellhop who is working for Blackguard. Wait, has Connie been okay. rehired at this point? Connie had been rehired at this point. Um, Wit arranges an exchange for the DOD laptop for Connie's safety under a clock tower because reasons, and he's trying to contact the Department of Defense to get them to show up for this too, but suddenly during the exchange, Richard Maxwell, who has now had a change of heart, suddenly reappears mid-handoff with a gun trying to shoot Blackguard and attempting to exact his own revenge on Blackguard for ruining his life and nearly causing him to kill a child. In the chaos, Blackguard escapes, vowing his revenge on John Whitaker. 50 episodes later, (laughs) Richard Blackguard's identical twin, Edwin, moves to Odyssey, where everyone treats him like shit, and he decides to stay for some reason. (laughs) 100 episodes after that, we are introduced to Tasha Robinson, an NSA agent working in a toy store that is a front for agency operations in Geneva, Switzerland. (laughs) She just learned that she's been made when she is knocked out by Mustafa, the leader of an international terrorist group known as Red Scorpion, which is mysteriously connected with none other than Dr. Richard Blackguard. This is also (laughs) when we learn that John Winokur has a son named Jason who is also an NSA agent. And a close friend of the recently kidnapped Tasha Robertson. So he flies off to Geneva to search for her, but gets captured himself. He learns that Red Scorpion is planning on releasing a super virus called Rakuta, and Mustafa decides to make Jason his first victim. But before he can, Blackguard, out of nowhere and for no reason that anyone understands, attacks Mustafa, getting injected with the virus himself in the scuffle. In the aftermath, Jason returns to Odyssey, where he receives a package containing a mysterious compound called TA-418. He soon learns that TA-418 is needed by the Red Scorpions to make their super virus transferable between humans. And just as he learns that, that Mustafa has escaped custody, Tasha flies to Odyssey to warn Jason that she and John Whitaker created TA-418 together. But before she can, she is captured by Mustafa again. Now we have another handoff, but of course things once again go awry when Blackguard shows up and murders Mustafa in front of Jason and Tasha, claiming that his own plans are bigger and darker than simple international terrorism or the death of all humanity we're not done (laughs) then 
through a whole series of episodes I'm not going to like cover in this much detail, there is a takeover of the town of Odyssey by Blackguard that involves installing a puppet mayor, closing Wit's End and claiming it for his own, and we eventually learn that all of this is connected to that mysterious mineral found in underground railroad tunnels that connect and run through Wit's End, a mineral that is an essential component of TA-148, the compound that Wit invented that Blackguard needs to complete his super virus. Jason races into the underground <laughs> railroad tunnels to foil Blackguard's plan, leading to a final confrontation in which Jason appeals to Blackguard to come to Christ. Blackguard threatens Jason with death, but Jason says he is willing to sacrifice his own life to lead Blackguard to Jesus. Blackguard reveals that it is already too late and indicates that he has literally sold his soul to the devil. He then reveals that he truly was infected with the Rukuda virus back when he saved Jason. He is dying anyway, so with nothing to lose, he pushes the button, exploding the tunnel. The bomb goes off. It collapses and kills Blackguard, and miraculously, J Jason is thrown clear of the explosion. Blackguard dies in the tunnels, having chosen hell over redemption and that is the entire blackguard saga that comprises 30 episodes set across 352 <laughs> episodes airing over the course of 10 years and all of that ends before the series reach reaches its halfway point that's incredible isn't that something that is just one of the major arcs in this that series. is like a wild commitment to something long form storytelling i guess <laughs> yeah. and so this is like the kind of stuff i remember i remember catching bits and pieces of the blackguard saga but it's just impossible to put it all together when you're a kid and you have nothing to go on to even know where the next clue is but this is the kind of shit that lived in my brain as a child yes. i like knew that blackguard was bad news and i knew that he was setting up a competing emporium but i didn't know why and i had to wait years until that complete guide to adventures and odyssey came out to even begin to understand what was going on here and genuinely as absurd as all of this is i think that adventures and odyssey is a stunning accomplishment merely through persistence if not through quality just that it is continued on for so long and all of these things just spiral on and yes there are definitely retcons throughout it but it is a shockingly consistent series compared to other like soap operas and the like of this length and you know i will say michael i was shocked when you brought up jason because i i obviously was not listening when jason was introduced but what I did know is that, and this is another sort of interesting uh, intertwining of nationalism and adventures in Odyssey, I did know that Wit had another son who was revealed to have died in Vietnam. Mm, that's I was aware of Jerry, the son who, uh. Uh, who was killed. Um, and all of that just raises some questions about like timelines and age and such. But anyway, um, it's it's a wild accomplishment to actually mostly pull this off. It is it's one of the better Christian properties that's been made, honestly, in this sort of evangelical milieu. Like they're they're trying to do it. Yeah, the, the lore is genuinely deep, and that's what I mean when I say it's a pocket dimension in an alternate universe. Like like here within the realm of evangelical culture that is just dc talks and jars of clay and what would jesus do t-shirts here we have an entire universe that has been existing quietly for nearly four decades over four decades uh 
No. And it's just there. Over three, and you can listen over three to all decades, of it. but yes. And you two listen to each to an episode. I, yes, I chose to revisit an episode that has lived very vividly in my mind for decades. Um, and it was exactly as I remembered it. Um, I was surprised at the veracity of my own memory, and I'm sure it's because I listened to this one episode like 5,000 times. Um, this one and the one that immediately came after it were my two favorites, and I listened to them over and over and over again. But I sure it sure was interesting to listen to it now, um, ha- you know, coming at it from a, a lens of like an, an educated adult human. But I listened to an episode uh, entitled The Curse. Ooh. Mm. Um, and it was, despite its ominous name and content, falls into the category of general happenings in Odyssey, which is why I liked it. Um, but you're such a like our town sort of like ass person. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Kelsey, Kelsey, rocking cottagecore, um, like at age seven. <laughs> you know, it's it's always it has always been true, and I do love our town. Um, <laughs> it's a great play. So. In this episode, Wit being the sort of, in the early stages of this, like, media mobile uh, arc, (laughs) uh, is trying to start a radio station that will broadcast across Odyssey and into the next door town of Connellsville, which is often Mm -hmm. portrayed as kind of a bigger metropolis where bad, worse things happen. Sure. Than in Odyssey. Or dangerous city. The dangerous city, yes, where you might, you know, find fentanyl on Halloween. Um, <laughs> and so Wit is trying to get this kids' radio program broadcast into Connellsville. And it is going to be like the, the microwave dish is going to be on top of Wit's end. And so it will then kind of go to a translator on a nearby mountain uh, and then be beamed into. Connellsville. Um, Lucy, who presumably come later will come out of uh, the coma that Michael mentioned um, after the imagination station blows up. This is before any of that, well before. Um, she is on site trying to like figure out what she's going to do. She's going to be the very first episode of this kids radio project. Uh, and she doesn't really know what her story is going to be. And she's pretty stressed out about that. She's very conscientious. Um, so she comes to wit's end and she's talking to Connie about how she doesn't know what she's going to do. Um, Eugene is with Wit. They're working on, you know, radio things. And so it's just Lucy and Connie in the shop. And then a quote-unquote Indian walks in. He oh, is, no. Yep, oh, no. Yes. An American Indian from the so-called Wataka tribe okay. walks in. He is wearing leather and fringe and moccasins and has a big head oh a big headdress on he starts mm-hmm. to chant and scream oh no in you know your really classic caricature like hey yeah hey yeah hey yeah hey yeah kind of yeah. thing mm-hmm. like just nonsense kelsey lair canceled and, no don't, <laughs> don't cancel me <laughs> yeah we're gonna we're gonna cut that clip and you're done yeah, yeah we're just gonna repost that and tag you in it damn fuck. all right so uh so this this indian man only speaks in partial sentences. And he has come in his broken English 
um, to pronounce a curse on the owner of Wit's End. And so he says that once every generation, the medicine men from his tribe come to this piece of property and reawaken a curse as vengeance for forcing out the local Wachaka tribe. Wait, wait, wait. Vengeance and Aussie's land back? Yep. Um... In some ways, <laughs> while also being incredibly problematic yeah. and caricatured vision of American Indian culture. All right, so what, let's what happens. So, uh, so he also says there's going to be three signs, um, and he, or four signs, a, a number of signs uh, that will indicate that this curse has awakened. And then when all those signs come to pass, um, owner will fall through air and die. And that this is all, every generation when this happens, uh, the owner has been attempting to do something with the magic of technology. Mm. Um, that, you know, well, the curse is related to, you know, these white settler folks trying to make voice and word uh, travel through air and wire. And all of this, of course, in broken English. Um, so, anyway, the signs all come to pass. Um, and wit is fear they fear that wit will will die that this curse is coming to pass and meanwhile eugene comes back he and lucy go to the local community college library they find out that surely uh, it's true every generation the owner of this property has died on the same day as a major communication advancement um, whether that is radio or telegraph um, and so then they come back and report back to connie who is all alone holding down the fort at the shop as usual and and then Wit comes back and he goes up on the roof to raise the microwave dish and they're like oh fuck he's gonna die so they go up uh, Eugene throws himself off the roof to try to prevent Wit's <laughs> death uh, is caught by the green and white striped awning mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Wit's end um, and then it all comes to light and also in, in the scene is the owner of the radio station a guy named Nathan Forrest. Uh, who we never hear from again. Ironically, Nathan Bedford Forrest, founder of the KKK. Please continue. <laughs> I wonder if that was not actually his real first name. We should look that up. It doesn't Anyway, his matter. last name is Forrest. They just call him Forrest. Don't care. Um, and he is the one, and oh, and in the midst of all of this, because Lucy is trying to figure out what she's going to do her radio show on, has been recording everything. So she has the entire curse on tape. Sure. And so then when they play all of this, Mr. Forrest realizes that the person who has been dressing up, who has come in dressed up like an Indian and and done this whole curse, is actually a guy named David Timmick, who does a show on on the station called Timmick the Mimic. And he does voices and characters, and he doesn't want this kid's radio show to happen because it could be competition. And so he's tried to prevent them from hoisting the microwave dish so that they don't actually start transmitting. And... Wow, this brown face makes an appearance. Wow. Absolutely. Um, so they have this whole conversation on the roof. Yeah, did Tina Fey make this? <laughs> no, Justin, Justin Trudeau. Yikes. Oh, there you go. So, so they figure out, okay, so the mystery is solved. Forrest goes, like, you know, Connie is super embarrassed because she's, of course, the most self-aware. 
Um, and she's like, I'm so embarrassed. And Forrest is like, you know, don't let it get to you. This guy's really good. He can make you believe that he's anybody. And he leaves. And then Wit just starts berating them. He's like, you absolutely should let this get to you. At least for a while. Like, and just, it, it's just this brutal, like, of course you love this one. raking. And he's, like, yelling at Eugene, like, in all the research you did, it did not occur to you to look up whether there are actually any Indians in the entire area. Like, don't you realize that modern-day Indians don't dress or talk like this? So at least they acknowledge that, that, like, there are still American Indians alive today, and they do not just speak in broken English. This is pretty woke. Um, (laughs) It it, it does acknowledge the settler colonialist history of, uh, of America, while also engaging in incredible stuff. Already batting over our history textbooks. That is so true. It's like, it's a real mixed bag between the stereotypes, the acknowledgement of at least the survival of some American Indians and the acknowledgement of, although with no real like engagement, of course, with like the idea that, yeah, there's still some people alive today who are fucking pissed and want their land back um, and should get it. So anyway, so, so Wit's like pissed at Eugene for not thinking about that stuff. And he's pissed at Lucy and Connie because spiritually they've been through a lot together. And he can't believe that they don't remember that no human has the power to curse. That only God can curse. Uh, can, uh, you know, declare curses. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. with the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the power of humans to, to curse one another has been lifted. And we only have to be afraid of God and not of the curses of humans. So his lecture is is brutal uh, and mean, <laughs> and it goes on for a hot minute. Uh, and then all of them basically like hug and make up. And and this was your favorite episode. <laughs> wow, Kelsey. I, it, I won't say it was favorite. I'll just say it, it stuck with me, and I, I did listen mm, to it a lot. Mm-hmm. You earlier said it was one of your yeah. favorites. Like, it's one of the interesting things is that in general, John Avery Whitaker is a very gentle soul. He's into like the gentle wisdom. And like he, he will get a little like disappointed in ang- but even that description of him like angrily dressing him down is more than i recall but it's interesting because dobson is a monster that encourages parents to beat their children and it's a, a like it's very interesting to me the ways that like the guy who actually owns the company that creates this is out there being like no beat your children but then like this media property they create has none of that in it it's never endorses corporal punishment it's always just like no it's just really important to talk things out well and interestingly i found out as i was you know dig- trying to find this episode to listen to um the prior episode which was not in the in the little volume that we had the little plastic case thing um James Dobson comes to Odyssey and has, oh, wow. and there's this whole, like the real, and it's just called Dobson comes to Odyssey. And, uh, he talks to Wit, you know, they have a whole big conversation and they help one of the local kids solve their problem. So they dab it out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, I think that's wild. I think it's obvious that this was made by real people who at least somewhat care about the product they're making. I also think like, you know, sometimes depicting something is obviously bad, right? Like, you, it's sort of just, like, prima facie, like, terrible. Like, yeah, you may believe in being a kid, but imagine, like, putting that in a cartoon or in a yeah, fucking yeah. radio Imagine show. having a Foley artist be like, no, make the, make the beating wetter. Right, like, you know, Harvey Weinstein didn't have movies about how, like, assaulting people was bad or good. 
for sure. No, that is very interesting that Dobson actually appears as a character in that. That's kind of like Stephen King showing up in the Dark Tower trilogy. It's just like, oh, we've we've jumped some kind of shark here. Uh, in that it's just cool. Yeah, and that it's extremely. Bad. And that it happened uh, very, very early in the series. I I have vague recollections of that episode, but I it did not stand out for me as much as you. But I do remember that curse. Like I, I remember the like technology element and the flying through air. Like yeah, that that definitely rang bells. My episode was a two-parter, um, which were always fun because you knew they were dramatic. It was called Castles and Cauldrons, and it is Adventures and Odyssey's Satanic Panic episode. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this aired in 1990, and this, similarly to you, Kelsey, I went back and found one of the episodes that just stuck in my brain so much from childhood. And this one began with a disclaimer uh, that they read before some of their more intense episodes being like, all right, kids, if you're listening to this without your parents, go bring your parents into the rooms. Make sure they're listening to it with you because this could be a little intense. And as I was researching it, I discovered that actually in the original broadcast, it began with a two-minute rant by Mr. Dobson himself about how Dungeons & Dragons is actually satanic and they need to protect children from witchcraft. That did not appear in the box set version that I listened to growing up. You just got this 10 second little like, all right, get your parents, kids. I will, uh, but it I was will fascinating also interject that I grew up hearing that exact same thing, that Dungeons and Dragons was this like evil conjuring. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. This was a huge, huge thing, you know, obviously in Christian communities, but even just in general, that satanic panic in the late 80s uh, was massive and, and very, very one of the first like mainstream evangelical culture moments where they really like kind of broke out because lots of people were scared of Dungeons and Dragons. So this episode begins with a cousin coming to stay with a local family. So the Barclays is the family. Jimmy is excited because his cousin Lem. Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy is one of the major characters. (laughs) Um, Jimmy and his sister Donna show up in a lot of episodes. But but Lem shows up. Len is slightly older, and he's really excited to show Jimmy his new game called Castles and Cauldrons, which he calls even better than Zapazoids, which is a reference to a whole other episode where Jimmy gets addicted to Zapazoids, an arcade game, and they have to have an intervention because he's spending all his money and time on Zapazoids. I remember that episode, too. I remember the Zapazoids episode so clearly. Yep, we're in the early days, so this is is when Kelsey was still with it. Uh, So... Uh, Jimmy and Lem start playing Castles and Cauldrons. Uh, Len describes himself as Luther the Magician and determines that Jimmy's name is John Dell the Apprentice. And Lem is super into this. And there are a lot of, like, honestly very effective and creepy scenes where Lem essentially j- grooms Jimmy into joining his game. <laughs> and there are a lot of, like, actual cult techniques used. Like, there's sensory deprivation. There is repetition and, like, trust exercises. Like, Lem is doing all this shit to Jimmy as they're playing. And he essentially, like bullies Jimmy into actually hearing the sound of steel clang when they bang their toy swords together. And then like Jimmy starts to hear it and then they battle the black monks of Benthry uh, and they they are victorious and they're like breathing heavily like it was a real battle. And Jimmy's just like, wow, that was crazy. Uh, But he gets a little creeped out where when after that, Lem's like, okay, we need to do the victory incantation now. So kneel, kneel with me, John Dell, the apprentice. And and Jimmy's like, eh, I don't know, this kneeling seems a little prairie. And Lem's like, it's it's not a prayer, it's just an incantation, now kneel. And, and so Jimmy goes along with it and they do their incantation because they defeated the black monks. 
And uh, they're playing the game. Jimmy's starting to get into it. But soon after that, bad things start happening around the Barkley home. One of Donna's dolls is ripped apart by claws. And Lucy barges into Lem and Jimmy's rooms knowing that they are responsible. But Jimmy's dad is convinced that the cat got to it. Because after all, these are claw marks. And, you know, who could have done that? So he forces Donna to apologize to Jimmy and Lem. And Lem sort of hints that he might have some power over animals. And over the course of these two episodes, the game progresses until Lem insists that they are ready to summon Shawaman, a god in the game who can grant them real life power. And he spends a lot of time talking about how he can really have the power to change things in his real life with access to this god. And, uh, and so they, they end up playing the game to the point that there is a ritual that involves something called a board of talisman and then a blood covenant. And at the point where like Lem is like, all right, now split your hands because we need to bleed together to seal this blood covenant. Jimmy decides he wants nothing to do with this. <laughs> but Lem, Lem is too far in and he succeeds. And we hear demonic voices rising in the foley like through the trees. And Lem is like cackling and so excited that he's finally managed to summon shaman and of course at this point mr whitaker who is essentially a jedi in this episode <laughs> and you see an early scene where he's off at wit's end and he drops a glass after jimmy and lem first play the game and he's like oh i just i feel so oppressed i i sense this presence i haven't felt it since like he is full-on doing obi-wan <laughs> shit just all on his own but he eventually figures out that something's going on so mr whitaker and jimmy's dad bust in and they break the board of talisman and rip up the book and lem gets shipped off to pastoral counseling and then mr <laughs> whitaker and jimmy drink lemonade on a bench and mr whitaker tells jimmy to pray if he ever feels creeped out by demonic forces again uh that is so much to put in 25 minutes that sounds awesome oh well this is a two-parter so you've got two 25 minute episodes to work with but yeah there is a lot going on and like honestly like shit rips all the way through like (laughs) lem is like so effectively creepy as the like slightly older cousin who like is just constantly berating jimmy but also like come on man like don't you want to do this don't you want to be a part of this like It is genuinely very effective. And my main takeaway as a child was like, I want to play this game so fucking bad. (laughs) I was just like really, really into the idea that I could play a game where like my toy sword would sound real and I could battle the blank monks of Bethry. Like that just sounded so cool to me. Uh, And then there's one final reminder at the end. Chris pops back on. And Chris, who we haven't mentioned, is this like host that shows up in every episode to do the little introduction and outro. And I don't know she, if she ever actually appears in the episodes. I don't recall not. her often. She does not. However, she, is, she has. She is. She and the voice of Connie Kendall are the two original characters. So they've been doing this, the two of them, since 1988. Damn. Incredible. To this day. Incredible. It's extremely weird that childhood Michael had a crush on Connie, who was, even at the time, a fully grown adult woman and is now deeply into middle age. Go to her. Incredible stuff. <laughs> yeah, she's like 57. Um, yeah. Michael? It's, uh, Michael? It's, it's extremely cool. What? Get in there. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'm, uh, you know, they tell you at the end of every episode to reach out to them. So, hey, I'm, I'm about to hit that DM slide. Let's go. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I thought it was very funny also that Lem got shipped off to, like, explicitly pastoral counseling. So and good. then they have Chris coming on to be like, don't mess with things that are evil and against sound Christian doctrine is the word she says to children. <laughs> <laughs> 
remember, kids, be wary of uh, anything that goes against sound Christian doctrine. The the writers of the episode are still like, we're going to make this slap. We're going to make this cool and scary. It really does, though. It really does, though. Like, man, when the, like, demonic voices start rising in the trees and it's, like, kind of melding with the, like, wind fully, like, it's legitimately effective. That's awesome. It is. It does seem to be extremely high budget. Yeah. Like the voice mm-hmm. actors are like real people. Yeah. The the voice of Eugene Meltzner, like that guy, did seriously real work. Yeah, a lot of these people are just like worker, like voice actors in the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of them worked in other things. Uh, it definitely is very high quality, both in like the sound production and the voice acting. And I was really shocked returning to it. Like, my episode had a lot of like not just humor but humor that like felt very genuine to the space mm. like siblings bickering like siblings families telling jokes that sounded like the kind of jokes that families would tell each other like it felt very organic and natural in a way that like even very high budget media today often like never accomplishes like the world <laughs> feels very lived in in a way that like is really nice and sort of cozy but then also helps the like crazy go down when you get to like the more insane things there's like a genuine like not just like workmanlike in a bad way but it's just like it's just good content it's like network tv it's yeah just, there, like, good. there is crap yeah mm-hmm. oh, it's like watching uh, in- law and order it's just like yeah this is good for what it is also, the intro song slaps. Mm-hmm. I was just like, the second I heard it, I was just like, oh man, my whole childhood flashing before my eyes. Y'all don't, like, do, do, y'all don't realize if Michael do, do. and Kelsey are about to start a spin-off podcast where they just go through the entire series. Yeah, no, because I'm having like all of these memories. I'm like, oh my gosh, you remember the episode where like Lucy has to stand up for creationism and like not do a report on evolution? Like, oh my gosh, you remember <laughs> the one where like they're the mean to the kid with the um with dyslexia and like yeah. and there's like a little bit of like you know disability inclusion and like anyway i'm just like there's just been a cascade of memories and mostly the, the like very sane things that happened in odyssey like the normal kid shit not and i'm like fascinated by this whole other side of odyssey that i just completely never knew about yeah, yeah. One of the other major arcs is clearly James Dobson grinding his axe against secular radio stations because this is a real thing. Focus on the family essentially took over a huge portion of like radio waves period through a lot of like very shady legal dealing. But like there is a reason that every like station at the bottom of the dial is like a Christian station now, and it's because of Focus on the Family. Like they lobbied, and a lot of that stuff hey, was him bickering station. with Some other. Some of them are NPRs. Yeah, well, literally, those are your two options. Like, you get college radio stations sometimes. But this is something I know way too much about from working at a college radio station. But Christians have been militantly pursuing this as an evangelism tool for decades. And that was mainly James Dobson's thing. So when he creates a whole arc about how this evil company is trying to brainwash people by taking over the airwaves, that is him firing shots at, like, legit Time Warner Cable and, like, stuff. Like, like there, there, it is one of those things, sort of like when you go back and you you know read Chaucer and then you go to your class and they're like oh yeah by the way there was just this guy named Steve that Chaucer really fucking hated and that's why you had this whole character in this this poem and you're like yep okay that's Adventures in Odyssey Adventures in Odyssey is the same as Canterbury Tales confirmed 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 <laughs> except better obviously yeah, well, uh, obvi- like the Chaucer didn't more even, sex jokes. Chaucer didn't even finish the Canterbury Tales I mean yeah loser. Yeah. <laughs> fucking lame <laughs> 
it is uh it is a truly singular document is i think and like is it reactionary absolutely <laughs> but it is surprising how many other elements there are at play and it made me I don't know, nostalgic for a time where when our reactionary artists still made art. Like reactionary yeah. art these days is so on the nose. It's, you know, the Hunter Biden laptop movie. It's like it's <laughs> it's just barely even achieving fiction. Like it, it is just it is just YouTube screens. And I miss <laughs> the days when our reactionary art could be nicely packaged with good voice acting and sound effects. <laughs> God damn it. My my Michael expects better propaganda from you people. I need more Dragged Across Concrete. Adventures in Odyssey and Dragged Across Concrete are two great works of reactionary art. This is uh, this is how Michael gets like really- Oh wait, and The Incredibles. Oh, Boom, The Incredibles is fucking amazing. The Incredibles is a great movie, objectivist as fuck. Yeah, The Incredibles is like, not like fuck its themes, but it's so good. It is a very good movie. Um, do we have anything else to say about our adventures in Odyssey? Kelsey? <laughs> Kelsey's just still having flashbacks. Like, she's she's fully yeah, in no, on I'm right just now. Like, she's, I Kelsey's, like, just, Kelsey's just queuing up the next episode. No, I... I Kelsey is... I full on oh, even God. remember episode titles. Like, I was laying in bed last night unable to sleep for reasons that were not related to Adventures in Odyssey, but just because I'm not good at sleeping, but... Uh, I was, like, remembering, like, the official names of episodes and what happened in them and, like, kind of the covers of those, like, plastic VHS things that mm -hmm. housed the tapes. Yeah, they have a very particular art style that they've been using this entire time. And so, like, there is a visual component to this. And, and Zach, briefly, you watched one of the, like, short-lived, like, yeah, I, I, actual I, television episodes they made, I'm not right? going to get all the way into it because we, we don't have time. But, yeah, I watched, like, one. They made 17 episodes of it. It was, like, just a good cartoon. They cost, like, $400,000 to make in, like, the 90s or early aughts. Like, it was, like, a legit funny cartoon. Well-made. Good time. There's a bank robbery in mind. Everything is, like delightfully crazy but i was like this is just good kids material i my yeah. church had one had one of those vhs's yeah and it was like a go-kart race gone wrong and then dylan ends up in the hospital in like a full body cast nice um and that's all i remember about it i truly love kelsey how different our experience <laughs> of this show was like I got really invested in the lore and you got very <laughs> invested in the characters. And it's fascinating how we watched and experienced a lot of the same content, but got totally different things out of it. Yeah, Kelsey's out here like getting sort of like Proustian, like <laughs> like day to day, yeah. like, oh yeah, the characters were just like hanging out. Like Yeah, yeah. Forget forget your tea cakes. Uh it's time to it's time to sniff some ice cream sundaes. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh you think you mean Madeline, but yes. Um, I, I don't, my, it was, I guess my takeaway is like, it's just so, it was, I was like you guys really struck by how artfully done it was, how mm. these like bizarre, conservative, yeah, like extremely reactionary tidbits just got like wedged in, in the midst of like some genuinely like interesting, helpful things. Like they took on themes of like self-harm mm. and eating disorders mm. In episodes that I remember, in peer pressure, in the midst of like mocking American Indians and and then being like, "That's not okay," but like actually not really ever saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just being like, "That's not what they talk like." Ha 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 ha. And uh, and and like, yeah, just like shitting on like standard cultural things. 
and and also just the warmth that I still feel towards it because it was so effective at um, just like providing that alternate universe for Christian kids to swim in and not have to like encounter, you know, the secular world. Um, it's just like such, it's just a really interesting little, you know, piece of the, of the culture war really like to, to have all of this available, like this incredible universe like excellent world building genuinely I mean obviously like not only did that the episode that I revisited you know completely adhere to my memory I also remembered like almost word for word maybe the next three episodes um that were you know in the on you know on the other side of the cassette and then like the next cassette um and so I guess it's just you know it's so striking how effective it was at providing that sort of alternate world to swim in that like you know, normalized things like hating on evolution and American Indians <laughs> and um, Dungeons and Dragons and video games. And just, it's just a very, very interesting little time capsule of the culture war that a lot of us grew up with. And it's an yeah. interesting, you know, it's kind of interesting to revisit it as an adult and to see like all this stuff is problematic as fuck. And also, I'm like, Oh my gosh, but I still think of like eating soft serve in the back of my mom's car on the way to family vacation. And I still feel warm and fuzzy about it. And that is some powerful shit. Couldn't said it better myself. This was delightful. Kelsey, thank you for being here yet again. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy we did this episode finally. <laughs> I, I don't think you get thank yous at this point. You're just, you're just part of the team now. Yeah, all right, uh, that's fair. You know uh, what? That makes me so happy. You know what? I'm just gonna, re- I'm gonna track my thank you. Kelsey? Yep, mm-hmm. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, Kel- Kelsey you. is a recurring character, not unlike Lucy and Donna in Adventures in Odyssey. And Jimmy. Dear Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, Kelsey is no longer a very special episode. There's no disclaimer. She's just part of the cast. That's right. You're, I'm not even going to put featured on, I think, this one. I think it's going to be like, yeah, you're just going to be, you're just going to be. I'm it. so honored to be so run of the mill. <laughs> All right. Well, my name. You're welcome. Is Zachary Allard. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary underscore Allard, even though I am locked. So fuck you. Uh, my name is Michael Tabor. You can find me on Twitter at Michael Tabor, unlocked, flying free, uh, mostly talking about cop shit. And I am mostly tweeting pictures of my dog, and I am at better, Kelsey better, Blair best choice. on Twitter. Also, open to open to all. Whoa. Follow, whoa, hey. <laughs> uh, follow the pod at shitty underscore pod. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time.